Okay. Hey guys, welcome back. Um, If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. And if this is your first time with us, thanks for tuning in. Um, Shout out to like all three of our listeners. We have we had 11 plays actually on our first podcast yeah our well honestly like half of them were probably like me and you trying to figure (laughs) out like what the hell we're doing if it was uploaded right all of that but so just to kind of like go through some little like housekeeping um items so kaylin and i have decided that we're going to be switching off on the topics that we cover from week to week so one of us will be the expert on the topic and the other will still be educated but not necessarily an expert so you know, next week I'll be covering something and I'll be, I'll, I'll be the expert on that. But then like the week after that, Kaylin will kind of like, so that's kind of how we're going to do it. Um, we might play with a little bit and kind of go over other like episode formatting options. But as of right now, that's kind of how we're going to do it. Um, and we have a big, big announcement and I'm so excited, but we're actually on Apple podcast now. Like so with the, yeah, with the last podcast that we did, we were not on Apple Podcast. I don't know why. Like, why were we not? We needed to set up an Apple ID with the OMO email yeah. account. So. And, like, you guys know that that podcast wasn't, like, ours. So we really didn't have, like, we didn't have access to a lot of these different things, you know. And, like, I understand because Joanna and Pauline, like, our bosses were really busy. But now that, like, this is our thing and we're kind of, like, taking the initiative and, like, being able to complete those steps ourselves, it's so exciting to, like, actually go into podcasts and then see, like, our little logo and everything. It's so cute. Um, So, yeah, with that being said, we just want to go ahead and say that if you like what we're doing, please go ahead and rate and subscribe us, subscribe to us. we love we love getting constructive criticism, but please be gentle on the reviews because we're just kind of like finding our footing and we're just like doing this as a hobby and we're still learning the ropes, even though, you know, we like we've mentioned, we've done a podcast before. Um, we really didn't get that far into it. And a lot of the stuff that we're doing now, we're doing differently. And so it's a, still a huge learning process for us. Um, so before jumping in, Kaylin. Yes, so we. I wanted to bring to everyone's attention, uh, like a couple of different um, current events that everyone should be knowing about. So first of all, um, I don't know how many of you've seen. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have seen on social media. Um, there's also a blog post on it on our website. Um, but there's currently a movement to protect Mauna Kea on the Big Island of Hawaii um, from being used as a construction site for a gigantic telescope called the 30 meter telescope or TMT for short. Um, and so, yeah, the TMT is supposedly going to be, uh, built on top of Mount Akea, which is, um, a volcano, a dormant volcano in, on the Island of Hawaii. Um, but it is also a mountain that is very sacred to native Hawaiians and the indigenous people of Hawaii. Um, and so there's been a lot of pushback to this, um, and their actual laws in Hawaii that protect sacred indigenous sites and areas. Um, but despite that, the TMT, um, which is backed by a multitude of governments, the Japanese government backs it. There are a lot of institutions in Canada, um, a lot of universities and research centers um, are backing this TMT um, and plan to move forward. So on July 10th, um, it was announced by the Governor David Ige of Hawaii that construction on Mauna Kea would begin on July 15th. 
Um, and then so in reaction, Native Hawaiians um, have mobilized and literally put their bodies on the line to prevent access to the mountain to stop construction. Um, so what they did was, and they were mostly elders. So these were people in their 70s to 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they stood in a line across the highway uh, and so physically stopped construction trucks from coming up. And then there was um, kind of a security barrier behind them, um, which uh, younger Native Hawaiian activists um, brought out a cattle guard and chained themselves to the cattle guard and put it on the road um, in the event that the elders were arrested. Um, but anyway, all this information is on our blog. Um, don't want to take too much time up of our current podcast episode on this um, because it's all written down on the blog as well as linked to um, another article that's really great that you should read that gives you the larger context of the fact that, you know, this is, um, you know, not only is Mauna Kea sacred land, but Hawaii is an illegally occupied country by the United States. Um, mm. Definitely check that out. Um, but please do whatever you can to help. Um, though I would say if you, I saw this on Twitter a couple weeks ago, if you're not native Hawaiian, please do not try and go to Mauna Kea and, you know, join that community that's, you know, really taken root there. They built up, you know, a huge, you know, base. Um, they don't need, they don't necessarily need numbers, um, but they do need widespread support off the islands and for, um, allies to pressure institutions that are sponsoring the TMT to stop the construction. So if you're a UC student, if you're a Stanford student, um, if you're any way affiliated with, um, you know, universities that are backing the 30-meter telescope, urge them to divest. Um, the blog also has a petition as well as links for people to donate. Um, there's a bail fund as well. Um, and a fun tidbit to end this little section is that the TMT is actually wanted somewhere in mm. La Palma, Spain, on the Canary. It's on the Canary Islands, so they have an actual like location where people want it to be placed. Yet they are, you know, um, tirelessly trying to push for it to be put on Mauna Kea. Um, but the thing is, though, who wants it placed in La Palma? Um, because I don't know. I I just heard that there were. I'm assuming that's the it's the people there. So. TMT is, I think, technically a nonprofit, which is kind of weird, but um, they always say, like, they're Sorry. very proud to have, like, the backing of, like, the local people or whatever. Yeah. Because I was thinking if it's wanted in La Palma, maybe it's just not wanted by, like, the right people. You know what I'm saying? For it to actually, like, mm-hmm. for there actually to be an incentive for it to be placed there. Yeah. I Yeah, I really don't know what's going on. I mean... <laughs> If you go to the blog post, uh, someone published on Twitter, so now it's public information, the email address of the director of the TMT. So you can email him directly saying that you don't want this on that. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's a little shady, but whatever. Um, But yeah, so it's, you know, there's a secondary location. Um, Mm -hmm. They're just not moving it to it. Uh, Also, um, I don't know how big of a fan you or anyone listening is of uh, Marvel. But at Comic-Con last week, I believe, um, they announced, like, a lot of the stars of Phase 4 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And there's actually some, like, quite nice representation. I mean, they have, like, Scarlett Johansson. But, I mean, whatever. She's just Mm, one person. I don't Um, don't like her. I I don't like her. She's getting her standalone movie, which I also feel conflicted about. Um, 
but there's going to be um, a making of a movie of a movie around Shang-Chi, who's a supposed, I think is like a Chinese like superhero martial mm-hmm. arts kind of guy um, headlined by an actual Asian in Simu Lu. Also mm-hmm. conflicting feelings about him because he's very into like male representation, like night, like positive male representation for Asians, but it's very cis and mm-hmm. heteronormative. Get into him later, um, probably. I mean, Kumail Nanjiani is in The Eternals. Uh, Salma Hayek is in there, too. Um, they have... But yeah, they have, like... A ton- oh, Mahershal Ali is also going to be playing... Bo- I love so- him. To be honest, though, I don't know. Here's the thing. I am a little um, conflicted on how I feel about... Um, like, you know, when they introduce a character and this person is like breaking some kind of like either racial norm or sexual mm-hmm. norm or whatever, like gender norm. Um, but people will still say, and rightfully so a lot of the time, like this person is still subscribing to a, a cis hetero norm. And I kind of feel like it's a double edged sword because you have to start somewhere with the representation. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I feel like these big companies and these big like productions are not going to like put the money and the effort and like the time into putting together an actor or a character who is completely like against every norm because they kind of want to like test the water first Mm -hmm. and see like, is this something that people are going to respond to? So I, I understand completely when people are like, yeah, but they're still, you know, like they're still um, fulfilling this, this blank, you know, insert word here norm, but I'm kind of like, yeah, but we have to start somewhere. And also I, I'm also very skeptical of different production groups and like literally anything any companies you know people who are freaking selling us cell phones and like internet service are all of a sudden like adopting these new things that they're seeing as trendy and to me it's completely pandering and I can Mm -hmm. tell and I'm just kind of like so are you adding this person into this movie and kind of like bringing light to the fact that like you're representing this group of people um because you actually want to or because you know that that's where you know, like public opinion is yeah. concentrated right now, you know? So that's like a conflict for me in terms of like, I don't know. I'm on the fence. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think time will tell with how yeah. phase, four, phase four comes out, but I will say that it is not as white as I would have expected, <laughs> which is always a good Thank thing. Thank God. Um, but I mean, that's a little bit about, about like some current events that I noticed um, Chris, do you have anything that you want to shout out? Um, no, I think that's it. Perfect. So why don't we jump right into what we're going to be talking about today? Okay. So today we're going to be talking about the 2019 World Cup and all of the stuff that came along with it, ranging from equal pay to pay to play to Title Nine to that's Title Nine, right? Yeah. It's been a long time <laughs> since I've seen Roman numerals. <laughs> to Megan, is it Rapino? Yes. Rapino. I always say I, I always want to say Rapino, but then I'm like, no, that doesn't sound right. Rapino. Yes. Um, and she's she's a literal fucking queen. I love her. <laughs> um, she's but I'm, not, I'm not drinking. Too. 
What's she's up? She's from Redding, California, so it's like not too far from us. Oh, she's from she's from Farmers Girl. Yeah, no, sure. My cousin has a farm up there, and it is is dead quiet. Yeah. It literally feels like a chunk of the South has been put in California. Let's. I, we don't have to talk about their politics, but you should see who they voted for for president. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to see. Actually, <laughs> I really don't. Um, but I'm not drinking alcohol today because it's literally <laughs> it's literally 11:30 at like on a Sunday. But Kaylin, what's your drink rec? For this episode yes so i am also not drinking alcohol right now i'm drinking actually a smoothie that i made with blueberries and pineapple um but i think if you're listening to this and it's a, an appropriate time um would definitely recommend drinking a nice cold budweiser in honor of budweiser becoming the first official beer of the nwsl which is the national men's soccer league mm-hmm. get into that a little later uh, but they're now the they're one of the biggest sponsors of that league which is sad considering they're only like four sponsors um between them and nike they're the biggest ones by far Mm -hmm. um but you know budweiser also um sponsored the both the men's and women's world cups so definitely go and crack a cold one open for them Mm -hmm. because no matter whether or not they are doing out of the goodness of their hearts they are um, sponsoring and helping grow the game. Yeah. But that being said, let's jump into kind of like a recap of the 2019 World Cup. Um, so, I mean, this year the World Cup took place from June 7th to July 7th in France. Um, the U.S. National Women's National Team, or the USWNT for short, um, was back this year to defend their title from 2015 and attempt to be only the second team in history to win back-to-back titles. Um, the Germans did it in 2003 and 2007. And being the only country with four World Cup titles out of a possible eight. So if they were to win, I mean, I don't know why I'm talking about it, like, hypothetically, they won the 2019 World Cup, which meant they are, they have won literally half mm-hmm. of the potential World Cups that there have been <laughs> in history. Um but, I mean, for simplicity, there were a lot of great storylines uh, this year in the World Cup. Um, but we'll just be following the USWNT's journey um, just because it would get too complicated to talk about everything. Um, but, I mean, there are tons of amazing stories that you should go check out on your free time from, you know, Jamaica sending a women's national team um, and their struggles to get there. They need to, like, do, like, a GoFundMe page. Mm-hmm. Like just to raise enough money to get their team to the World Cup, um, having two African countries making it through to the round of sixteen for the first time in history um, was a huge deal. Um, Nigeria's national team actually staged a protest during the World Cup where they refused to leave the team hotel until they received unpaid wages from twenty sixteen and twenty seventeen. Um, Marta, who plays for Brazil, she set a record for the most World Cup goals scored ever by a man or woman. Um, The host country, France, put on an absolute show for their home country. Um, It was amazing to see their run, uh, which was stopped by the U.S. But Mm -hmm. um, And then Formiga, who also plays for Brazil, she became the oldest player ever to play in a World Cup at age 41. She was 41 years old, and she also set a record for appearing in seven consecutive World Cups. Again, there have been eight. So she's played in almost all of them. That's awesome. Um, And the fact that 
this, I think it's lost a lot when we talk about the U.S. national team, but there was an engaged couple playing together on the U.S. national team on their road to victory. Allie mm-hmm. Krieger and uh, backup goalkeeper Ashlyn Harris are engaged, and it's so cute because they also play for the same club team. Oh, precious. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of, like, setting the backdrop of, like, all the amazing things that's, that's happened. Um, but, Perissa, do you want to go at kind of a quick recap of what the U.S.'s journey was like through yeah. the tournament? So, the U.S. women's national team started their campaign off with a bang, and they, they thrashed Thailand to cruise to a 13-0 victory in their first match. And this was when the first controversy, quote-unquote, uh, happened. Um, and we're talking about when the U.S. national women's team, which we're going to be calling the USWNT, um, a lot of them thought that they shouldn't have celebrated. A lot of people, like a lot of spectators, a lot of commentators thought that maybe they shouldn't have celebrated the way that they did when they scored that many goals and that they should have instead been polite and subdued. And these are like all in quote marks in goal celebrations after goal number six or seven. And in their next three knockout stage games, after the group stage, they won two to one, cruising to the final. And in the final, the U- the U.S. WNT faced the Netherlands, the reigning European champions, with a strong attack, and the women's team took them down two to zero behind goals from Rapino and Rose Lavelle, and young and technically savvy and creative player who many believe is the future of the national team. So we're talking about Rose Lavelle when we say that she's like young yes technically savvy all that um yes and by the end of the tournament the u.s women's team had scored 26 goals across seven games won all their matches and came away with a second consecutive world's cup title and a fourth star to add on national team jerseys um federations will place stars above their crest to signify the number of world's cup titles that it has and Megan Rapino won the Golden Boot, which is so cute. But that's the I know. it's the award for most goals scored, and Golden Ball, which is the award for the best player of the tournament. Alex Morgan won the Silver Boot, second most goals scored, and Rose Lavelle won the Bronze Ball, which is the third best player of the tournament. And so with that, we're kind of gonna get into the controversies um, slash thoughts coming out of the World Cup. So Megan Rapinoe has her own little like category of controversies. So she was the subject of a lot of controversy. First, it was her goal celebration. And like what we were talking about before when people were like, she's doing too much celebrating. Like, you know, she just needs mm-hmm. to kind of like tone it down a bit. Then it was. Yeah, but I think. Sorry, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, yeah, no, with that goal, like controversy, goal, like celebration controversy, though, I think a lot of people don't realize like her celebration was very obviously like choreographed and like she did this thing where she like like bent her knee like and pumped her knee like a lot of times because she suffered an ACL mm-hmm. tear I think in 2016 or 2017 that kept her out for almost a mm-hmm. year and then like because of that a lot of people doubted whether or not she could make it back and so then when she scored yeah. that's why she celebrated that way and I was like y'all don't Y'all clearly don't. I mean, come on. Anything. Seriously. <laughs> also, like, who cares? Do you know how miserable you have to be to be like, you're too happy for me right now? Like, you're doing too much. You're celebrating too much. Tone it down. I don't like it. Like, how yeah, bitter. Because I'm thinking back to like, if I've ever been in a situation where I felt like that, and I've only ever felt like that when my life is in the shitter. Like, 
I'm not going to be yeah. critiquing other people's happiness and how they choose to express it if I'm a happy person. So it's just kind of like either you just don't like her for whatever reason and we'll kind of get into it because she's, she's you know, defying a lot of the norms that we usually see, um, especially with like celebrity women. Um, then it was her decision to not sing the national anthem before games. And she made it clear that she was not singing the anthem in the same vein as Kaepernick's famous national anthem protest a few years ago. And because there is a policy that requires players to stand, she actually modified her protest. Um, and I love that. I love that, you know, it's a completely different sport. It's a completely different, like, you know, women's sports versus men's sport as a white woman. And like, furthermore, she was one of the first, if not the first white athlete, like across all sports in the US to join Caps protests. And and like yeah. I just think that I don't know. I feel like she saw that she was she had the spotlight on her for a little bit and she was like perfect. Let me utilize this like limelight to really bring attention and redirect it to something that's more like that's larger than I am, you know? Yeah, and it, yeah, and I think a lot of people will talk about how Oh, she's she understands better because um, she's both a woman and um, a, a lesbian woman. But I think what kind of like gets lost too is there was a story that was put out during the World Cup about her brother, who has been in and out of prison for most yeah. of his adult life. And so, what Kaepernick was really protesting with this, you know, police brutality and profiling of um, young black men in the U.S. Um, she also has a connection to yeah. that too. Like her brother has been a victim of the criminal justice system in the United States. Um, so she's, she's been really like kind of affected by like a lot of things that um, Kaepernick is also protesting. So it was like a natural sort of move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read that article about her brother. I just think that it's like, it's really her story is really different and sh- and I love that she is one of the women that's being highlighted in women's sports because I love that you know she's not traditionally beautiful in a way that you know like we've kind of been conditioned to find her beautiful and she's mm-hmm. really like stepping up and using the platform that she has to like broadcast larger issues you know and then so mm-hmm. after that, a clip from an interview that was taped earlier this year um, when the women's national team rolled out their World Cup kits came out that featured her saying, I'm not going to the fucking White House. And this kicked up a whole lot of stupid shit from a lot of different people. But I mean, like, really, are we surprised that as she's lesbian, right? That as mm-hmm. a queer, you know, like female athlete who is like part of multiple like identities that this administration has targeted. Like when black athletes didn't want to go to the white house and shake hands with the president or whatever, like people were like, cool. Like, I mean, yeah, I get it. But then all of a sudden, like they can't keep that same energy when she doesn't want to do it. I don't understand like why you would even want to be like, no, you have to go to the white house and shake this man's president when literally most people most like people who don't have their head in their asses know like we don't want a fucking handshake from this man anyway he's a demon you know Mm -hmm. yeah and then 
So equal pay right before the World's Cup on International Women's Day. And I want to say that, you know, in in pursuit of being as inclusive as possible, always um, just know that we are referencing women um, like within the scope of this podcast as W-O-M-A-N. I mean, that's the old one. The new one is W-O-M-X-N. And that's kind of to like add a depth of identity to womanhood that it doesn't have because it's seen almost as like a literal extension of existing from men. Do you know what I'm saying? I hope that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but the women's national team mm-hmm. filed a lawsuit accusing the U.S. Soccer Federation of unequal pay, citing the fact that they get paid less than the men for performing the same job and actually producing better results. For those who don't know, the men did not qualify for the 2018 World's Cup. And in fact, the pay disparity is so bad that The Guardian found that there is a $730 oh, – oh, Christ, these numbers kill me every fucking time. I'm going to say it from the top. Hold on. Let me practice this. 730,000. There we go. Cool. All right. I'm going to start from in fact. In fact, the pay disparity mm-hmm. is so bad that the Guardian found that there is a 700 Oh, my. Okay. From the top. Wait, that was right. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah, that was right. Okay. In fact, the pay disparity is so bad that The Guardian found that there is a $730,000 gap in World Cup bonuses between the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team. And we'll have the source for that linked on the blog. But the max earnings for a U.S. women's national team player in bonuses, so from qualifying for the World Cup all the way through to their victory tour, should they win, is only uh, $260,000. Holy Kaylin, can you say this number for me, please? Yes, so it's only $260,869 versus a potential paycheck for a U.S. men's national team player of $1,114,429 if the U.S. men's national team were to win their respective World Cup, which is literal have. insanity. And I'm really bad with numbers. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> my, my two brain cells were like scrambling to put that number together and like they couldn't. Um, and I want to talk about kind of like, I don't know anything about soccer. I don't follow soccer. I literally only care about soccer when it's like the World Cup. And even then I'm like rooting for um, the Iranian team or literally like as soon as Iran's out of like the game or out of the 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 world's cup i'm like all right i'm gonna pick a country the next country that's closest to iran i'm a root for them and so that's usually how it goes for me (laughs) but like even me i was seeing i was seeing shit all over like social media um people who were either kind of like questioning you know the women's national team's concerns and kind of criticizing them or people who were supporting them. And honestly, I saw a lot, I saw a lot of support for Megan Rapino because she's just so likable. Like she's so personable. Mm-hmm. She's so likable. And I feel like I was rooting for her and I'm rooting for all of them because they're really like breaking down boundaries and it's ballsy. You know what I'm saying? To like publicly air out the fact that, we are winners. We don't get paid nearly as much as we deserve to be and basically run us our fucking check, like, period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not happening either in the U.S., in only the U.S. either. Like we talked about earlier, Nigeria mm-hmm. had unpaid wages from 2016. 
Yeah. Like it's, that's three years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's really frustrating for me to see um, the fact that, you know, when we talk about equal pay um, and Chris has inserted um, a pick here, but the U.S. Soccer Federation and a lot of those who are against equal pay have cited the fact that there are revenue disparities between the U.S. women's national team and the men's national mm-hmm. team. Um, as you know, those are, that's why um, they there's a there's a you know pay disparity or a, a gap in their wages. But the Wall Street Journal, which is a reputable source, um, found that based on ticket sales from 2016 to 2018. The U.S. Women's National Team actually generated $1.9 million more in revenue than the men did for the U.S. Soccer Federation. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea is that they're not bringing in revenue. It's categorically false. Yeah. Like, 2016 to 2018, that's two years. That's two whole years. They were generating more $1.9 million more. Um, and then in addition, like the U.S. Women's National Team home jersey for the 2019 World Cup became Nike's best-selling soccer jersey ever. Mm -hmm. So people are willing to pay for, you know, to, you know, generate revenue in in terms of brands that are connected with these women. Yeah. Um, I think you also have to talk about the fact that, you know, this is paraphrasing from Tobin Heath, who did an interview with um, a former national team member, Julie Foudy, who said that you can't really, you can't really cite revenue disparities as a credible like thing because given the fact that the men's you know the men's national team has been in existence for so much longer than you know the women's national team the first women's world cup didn't happen until like 1994 i believe or 1990 sometime in the 90s yeah but the men's the the best result that the u.s men's national team ever had at the world cup was back in the 50s mm-hmm. like if you think about that there's been so many more resources and money that's been poured into building a foundation for the men's national team yet we're not seeing that you know all of that although all of those resources being put to use for the women's national team and yet you're expecting them to with less you know resources or less backing or less time than the men's have to have you know the same performance or even better performance than the men in terms of revenue, like that, that's not how it works in order to make money. You have to spend money. Yeah. And, you know, generally in the business model, like spending money includes wages. <laughs> and the whole concept of like, I don't, I don't want to like misquote it, but the general idea, and I've heard this from a lot of different places applied to a lot of different groups, but the general concept of like, if you're a woman, you have to work twice as hard as a man and in order to get half the recognition, you know, and then like add on to that, like, oh, are you a black woman? Cool. You got to work four times as hard to get a fourth of the recognition. And so it's just kind of like, it's frustrating because it feels like a lot of the effort that women put in and a lot of the things that we do are kind of like, for whatever reason, expected from us. And I think that has a lot to do with like traditional and cultural conditioning, where regardless of how progressive or like how much of a feminist you are, there's still a lot of that ingrained ideology. And it's like an everyday process of us checking ourselves and kind of like speaking to ourselves and being like, where, where is this coming from? You know, like, what is the idea behind this? Why is it that I feel this way? So it's just something that we need to keep in mind also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think 
also a point to note here in terms of you know wrapping up this uh, little tidbit on equal pay is we're not going to get into disparities when it comes to FIFA revenue generation between men and women because the lawsuit is literally only focused on the U.S. Soccer Federation for now. Um, and I mean, that's not to say that FIFA isn't blameless. Um, they, I think the last time I saw, they have like literally, they literally have billions of dollars like stored away somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently putting it into the women's game is not their priority. Yeah. Um, and I think we have to look at, you know, audience as well. You know, U.S. soccer is generally focused on the states and the American culture is always in favor of winners. So, mm-hmm. of course, there's going to be more interest in like the women's game because they are performing a lot better. Uh, but when you look at the global scale, like a lot of other countries aren't necessarily there yet either. Um, and so the men's game is more popular than the women's game. And a lot of things to do with FIFA not putting in resources for federations to use to grow the women's game. Federations themselves um, spending more money poorly in terms of you know investing in resources for their women's national teams um but that's like a whole separate issue um i think for this like equal pay a lot of the conversation is focused purely on um u.s soccer and what they're failing to do um and i think that's kind of a good place to segue to was into what title nine is and title nine and pay to play in you know kind Mm -hmm. of conjunction so title nine um was a piece of legislature that was actually introduced by a um, congresswoman from Hawaii to really ensure that that um, there were equal resources going into women's um, programs and foundations, or that there was, you know, gender equality in some way in terms of like just coded into legislation. Um, and a lot of people have been celebrating Title IX and saying that Title IX is a large reason behind the U.S. Uh, women's national team dominance um, because with Title IX, it required universities at, in the United States to have equal amounts of scholarship money for women's sports programs and men's sports programs. Mm-hmm. So you got a lot more you know, women going into sports um, and continuing sports into college because they could they were getting those scholarships and they were getting that money uh, poured into those programs where traditionally most of the money was just going to the men's programs. Um, But now with Title IX, they had to be equal, Um, which is also why some programs just like cut certain sports because Mm -hmm. um, they needed to like restructure the money or um, reevaluate where, you know, money was going. Um, But I mean, largely that meant, you know, an expansion of women's sports at the university level, um, which gives, you know, which is a much more competitive level than like regular high school or just club um, local, you know, competitions that people have. Cause now all of a sudden, instead of competing with your local um, neighborhood, you're competing on a national basis for those few spots in those universities. Um, and so, you know, because of that, you know, the game continued to grow. People were getting, um, they already had, you know, kind of a head start to other countries in terms of, you know, resources getting poured into, um, women's soccer but mm-hmm. I think while like we celebrate title nine and like say that title nine is the reason why the U.S. is so dominant um I think it is but I don't think we ever nearly talk about when we talk about title nine um mm-hmm. first of all like how white this team is and why there aren't 
more women of color playing the game at the highest levels. Um, if you look at the team right now, um, the vast majority of them are white women who come from suburban families. Um, there are a few like women who are like ethnically ambiguous. So I don't want to like make an assumption or like put out hard numbers in terms of demographics of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there aren't too many like women of color playing on the U S women's national team. Um, and I think, you know, that kind of goes in hand with um, the fact that, you know, sports like soccer are largely inaccessible to communities of color because mm-hmm. communities of color in this country are historically um, lower income. And soccer in the U.S. is pay, is based off a play to, pay-to-play model, which mm-hmm. means that families who can't pay for certain things of, um, like travel costs, tournament fees, uniform and equipment costs, um, you know, et cetera, all those things, you have to pay club fees. So in order to play for a team, you have to pay the club in order to pay and in order to play for them. Um, This ends up pushing out a lot of families who are poor, and those are largely families who are um, POC. And, you know, thus results in when you're going into more competitive levels, it gets more expensive. And that results in a national team that's largely white, um, that isn't necessarily super reflective of, you know, demographics of our country because of the fact that poorer families are getting pushed out because they cannot pay um, those costs associated with soc- with playing soccer. Yeah. Um, and I think it's super interesting to see that because, you know, people always say like, oh, what if our best, you know, athletes were playing soccer like what if LeBron James was playing soccer and I was like that's kind of a weird that's <laughs> first of all does not work like that um some yeah. people just aren't made to play soccer I think it's it's you know you have to have like talent it's a de- totally different like ball game than like yeah you know, basketball one's like hand-eye coordination one's like not at all it literally play. is a totally different ball game yeah no it literally is <laughs> um but then like People are always like saying that, like, why aren't we having, especially for the men too, because a men's team, as we have said, is pretty trash. Um, mm-hmm. But, but again, like, I always I see that the fact that you know this women's team is so white is being because of this pay-to-play model. Um, yet we're celebrating Title IX, which doesn't is a largely colorblind. Um, piece of legislature it talks about gender but doesn't talk about the intersection of gender and race um and so Mm -hmm. what does that mean that means it's great and all but it's not necessarily serving those who are more marginalized within you know the identity of the gender identity of woman um Mm -hmm. and i mean again like title nine is the reason why women's sports in the u.s have had access to more resources than compared to other countries around the world um, but there, yeah, again, there's nothing in Title IX that specifically will help young girls and women of color. Um, and because of that, U.S. soccer needs to do that work in terms of reaching out and proactively include those communities um, and address mm-hmm. the barriers that exclude a lot of them. But, you know, we have seen already, they're not great about addressing those things. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's just like kind of a food for thought sort of thing. Um, it's definitely interesting to see that I think it's definitely something that no one ever talks about because 
like, oh, yeah, cool, like, they won. Um, but, like, uh, it's hard to be excited when, like, it's just a bunch of, like, girls. And, like, I don't know. Yeah. For me, it's, like, not as exciting because, I mean, we talked a little about representation earlier with, like, Marvel. Um, to not have that representation, like, it's cool that, like, they're succeeding, but, like, it would be so much cooler if there was someone who looked like me. I mean, it's, like, pretty minimal thing, but, like, yeah. it goes a long way. Um, and so kind of segueing out of Title IX and the pay-to-play model, um, because we could go on and on about that, but there are other things to discuss. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. the last thing that, you know, kind of some thoughts on the Women's World Cup or the World Cup, sorry, I'm trying to be better about saying only the World Cup. I'm not saying Women's World Cup in front of it because trying to rewire everyone's brains to... associate world cup with just a world cup and not only the men um but Mm -hmm. one huge thing um this is kind of a good segue into like how people can support or continue supporting these women um is the national women's soccer league and so i saw a lot of people on social media fall in love and like desperately in love with the u.s women's national team during the world cup but now that it's over, what should you do? Um, mm-hmm. So I would say here, if you want, if you support equal pay and want to support the U.S. Women's National Team players, then like literally the easiest thing you can do is watch the National Women's Soccer League. Um, the National Women's Soccer League or NWSL is a is the pro league that all all twenty three players who played for the U.S. in the World Cup, so all twenty three of them play in this league during the year um the world cup happens only once every four years the nwsl happens every year um i would like Mm -hmm. i'll have to insert here though um i'm a little biased with the nwsl i worked for them last year (laughs) as an intern that's dope Um, that's dope um chris i think you would love this i actually ran into (laughs) megan rufino at a budweiser no. Yeah, we were. I was in. I went to the bathroom and I came out and she was in line and I was washing my hands. I was like, oh, I want to go talk to her, but like my hands are dirty. Uh, I was also kind of drunk. Um, I was like two, three beers in and it was like 11 in the morning because I was. We were there. Oh my to, God. <laughs> we, were, okay, we were there to watch the final of the World Cup, of the 2018 World Cup. And so she happened to be there. Um, again, it was a Budweiser event, so it was a lot of fun. Um, but so I was in the bathroom and I came out of the stall and I saw her and I was like, oh my God. I like almost pooped my pants. It was so bad. Uh, and then I like was ready to go up to her after I washed my hands. And then when I turned around, I think they found her like another bathroom that didn't have a long line because she was gone. Um, yeah. A little sad, but I did see her in real life, which was really cool. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I'd pro- wow, your composure? Girl, commendable. I was dying on the inside. Um, but yeah, I mean, she plays for the NWSL. Um, and so the league, I mean, I would have to say, like, I love the league. I think it's great to have it. Um, the league is literally so small, though. It's It spans across the United States, but it only has nine teams. Mm. Um, there are only nine teams, and there are a lot of issues with it. And we talked about we talked about equal pay with the U.S. Soccer Federation, but in the NWSL, 
the maximum the max salary for a an individual player is around forty six thousand dollars a year. Girl, girl, that's less than fifty thousand dollars. So that's and for those of you listening, that's less than like most entry level Silicon Valley jobs will pay. Um, and that's the max, the minimum, the minimum amount that the NWSL teams have to pay players is only about $16,000. Oh my God. That's six. <gasps> that's robbery. Per, per year. And so a lot of players have to take side jobs. So take, for instance, Jessica McDonald, who was a national team member for the World Cup this year. Um, but before really getting her footing and she was bouncing around from NWSL team to NWSL team, I think she played for like six or seven different teams in the span of like six or seven years. Um, she actually for a time had to work as at an Amazon factory packing boxes in order to make enough money to raise her son with or, you know, her husband, of course, but, but they, they needed that extra income. She needed to, she had to work as an Amazon factory worker in order to make enough money to raise her child. I have no words. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, a lot of them will do that. A lot of them will actually, if they're good enough, will play in overseas leagues during the NWSL offseason. So a lot of Australian national players play in the NWSL. And then so after the NWSL season ends, they go back to Australia and play in the pro league there, um, which you know raises a lot of concerns in terms of increased risk for injury, um, you know, fatigue, they're not playing at their best um, by the time they're joining either league because they're just exhausted. Um, but yeah, like pay in the NWSL is really bad. Like I worked with, one of the people I worked with at um, the league office, like she used to play, she played for like a couple of years, I think. And she said that she was, Oh wow. She said she was just really lucky because like she didn't, she said like, yeah, like, the salary was really bad but like she was just lucky that she, her parents were she and her parents were like financially stable enough for them to help her out in terms of finding a place to live because a lot of these teams are in like pretty expensive areas like there's a team in Chicago there's a team in Seattle Houston um Orlando New Jersey um so like these aren't cheap places to live and yet they're getting paid not very not nearly enough in terms of like a livable wage. And on that same like vein, I want to say that a lot of y'all might be like, well, why aren't the women's teams being paid or the, the female players being paid in a way that they can live off of their salary? Well, like think about it. A lot of people turn away from their dreams or from like things that they really want to pursue because of money, right? And so why would you pursue uh, a job or something that you do, you know, because it's your passion, if you're literally getting paid shit for it? Like $16,000 a year is ridiculous. And so I feel like they've really, they really have lowered the wages. And I feel like, you know, there's no confirmation on whether this is true, but I truly feel like money is a huge motivating factor. And whether you have people that will pursue something or they won't, and they'll just let it go, it has a lot to do with money sometimes and financial freedom. And am I going to be able to live 
if I do this or, or like, do I need to find something else to do? So that has a lot to do with it also. Yeah, and I think something that, like, doesn't work with U.S. soccer because U.S. soccer is such a, you know, an organization that has such a solid foundation is that the NWSL is only six or seven years old. Um, they've only yeah. been in existence for a very short amount of time. Um, and they have a very, we ha- like the league has a very dedicated fan base that is like to the point of insanity. They come to every game. They're like religiously watching every week, every game that's, you know, being broadcast. Um, but it doesn't have the foundation that U.S. soccer does in terms of creating that money. Um, and so if more people don't come out to games. It's harder for clubs to play players. Um, if people aren't watching, if the TV ratings aren't great, then, you know, it's harder to get more money. Um, and, you know, this is a good segue. They don't have a lot of sponsors. Um, their biggest profile sponsors for the league are Nike, who does all the equipment and, like, uniforms and stuff, and Budweiser who only began their sponsorship of the league after the end of the World Cup. Uh, if you look at other you know, sports leagues like um, the NBA or the NFL um, or Major League Baseball, they have like, I would like to say that they both probably have at least 20 sponsors each that like are very, like levels differ. Some of them are like very small, some are very big um, packages, but like they have a lot, like, the, the NWSL has, like, four sponsors. It's Nike, Budweiser, Thorn, and Cutter. Cutter is a an insect repellent company, and Thorn is, like, these dietary... Like, not dietary. These are, like... Thorn are, are like, is a supplement company. Um, I don't really know exactly what they do. I probably should. We spent a year there, but... Uh, or spent a summer working for them. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so they don't have a lot of sponsors, which means they don't get a lot of that big sponsor money. Like, some companies will pay millions of dollars across multiple years to sponsor sports leagues because it's such a draw because so many people are watching. Um, But I think after getting an inside look of how partnerships and sponsorships and sports work last summer, a lot of companies seem hesitant to put money behind a new league that's, you know, only seven years old. The two previous, there have been two other women's leagues that have been started, pro women's leagues that have been started in the U.S. And each of those only folded only after three years of operation. So, you know, the NW right now kind of in uncharted yeah. territory. But, you know, companies are, you know, hesitant to do that because, you know, why drop millions of dollars on a multi-year deal for a league that might not last long based on, like, historical data? Um, which, I mean is fair mm-hmm. because you know you're dealing again with millions of dollars right here and you don't want to get locked in like a because they have to sign contracts yeah. and there's a lot of legal stuff going involved like it's a big deal um and so like that's like probably one reason why people are like hesitant but at the same time a lot of these companies are talking about how they want to do things for women or like they have women's you know initiatives and yet they're not necessarily showing that in their sponsor money which i think is interesting I have a whole thread on this on Twitter. I can link it to the blog post. Um, mm-hmm. But that'd be um, dope. Yeah. And then, you know, when you look at the fact that, you know, it's a small league, don't have a lot of sponsors. The first half of this, se- of this you know, season for the league, it wasn't even nationally televised. The only available nationwide 
you know, coverage of the week was on Yahoo Sports, which meant you have to go to like a computer uh, and then mm-hmm. log on to watch it, which is a good look, especially in yeah. a World Cup year. Um, but I mean, they are, you know, there's hope um, for the rest of the season. There's going to be the game of the week will be broadcast on ESPN, which means it's national um, and people can watch it, which is really cool, um, which means I can also watch it on TV, which I miss because I've been watching it on a computer. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we t- I talked about how, like, if you're a supporter of Equal Pay, you should watch the NWSL. So how does that play into Equal Pay or more resources for the U.S. national team? Um, so, I mean, by watching the, by growing the game through the NWSL, it shows there is stronger mainstream support for women's soccer in the years outside of the World Cup. Um so if there's, you know, that strong mainstream mm-hmm. support in off years, then U.S. soccer and other corporations can, can, can like, that can sponsor the league, maybe more willing to put more money and resources into growing the women's game because there is that vested interest from people who are watching um, or people who would be paying to go to games. Um, additionally, again, viewership is important. So if there's viewership in large markets, um, more companies would be willing to sponsor the league because they get, you know, advertising time during the games. They get, you know, sideboards uh, next to the field. So, like, during the game, you have to see their logo no matter what. Um, and then, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully that can help address some pay concerns for players because, again, those would probably be, like, multi-million dollar deals um, that's just generating more revenue for the league outside of um, individual ticket sales and things like that. Um um, so additionally, if there's more viewership mm-hmm. in large markets, um, more companies would be willing to sponsor the league. And hopefully that can help address some pay concerns for players. Um, some players who are under contract with national teams can get bonuses from their federations. Um, What's that? So that can help sometimes mitigate you know, the hardships that come with having a salary of like less than $50,000 um, a year. And then, but for players who don't get the bo- those bonuses, um, they still have to figure out how to make a living on a very meager salary while staying in like top physical condition. Like these athletes, like it's their job. It should be their full-time job to be training. Um, but they can't necessarily spend all their time training if they have to take a side job or like a side hustle. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's like just kind of a small way that like spending your Sundays or like Saturdays watching the NWSL can help. Also, some of the games are like really exciting. They had, I was watching one game between, I think it was Orlando and Portland, and there were literally seven goals. And it was in like a four to three win for, I think, Portland. And what happened was that it was like, I think, oh yeah, Orlando tied it with like at the very end of like, in like the 80, like, eighth minute or something and it was like three to three and then there was a lot of like extra stoppage time after it um and then like in literally like the 94th minute like one of the portland players scored a goal and that ended the game it was so cool to see and it was so fun um so that's what y'all are missing out on if you're not watching um but yeah i mean trista do you want to go talk into like go into maybe some 
you know, action items that people can do. Yeah. So kind of what Kaylin was talking about, you can watch the National Women's Soccer League games. Um, the teams that they have right now are in New Jersey. Um, NC, is that North Carolina? Yes. Yeah. Orlando, Chicago, Utah, Portland, Seattle, Washington, D.C., um, you can do that, or you can also go watch a game in person. They'll be going on a victory tour this year across the country. So if there's a game near you, definitely go because Kaylin tells me that they're a lot of fun and it's always more fun to see the action up close. Um, so yeah. And then also if you, for whatever reason, aren't able to go, definitely consider watching the U.S. Women's National Team games on TV because viewership and ratings are important and you might think that it's something mindless that people have playing in the background while they're doing different things. But like, depending on what gets the views, um, different groups and different companies might decide to sponsor, you know, the team or like give them more recognition. So that's also really important. Um, and also finally, the last thing you can do is to buy a U.S. women's national team Jersey or a women, a national women's soccer league Jersey. Um, and if you can buy their jerseys, which is – it's understandable if you can't because they're kind of pricey. It shows that people are willing to put their money into supporting the teams. Um, and also I think it's just like so so cute to like walk around like repping the women's team as a woman. You know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. it's important to be like – to really be about it. Yeah. I mean for so – obviously people can't see this right now because of the podcast. But as we were mm. recording this, I put on my uh, – women's national team jersey it's the old one it doesn't it only has three stars um i think i got it last summer while i was interning um with the league it was part like that internship was interesting it was part of a u.s soccer um program that they call she believes um Mm. and it was the internships were you know with um the nwsl u.s soccer um continental and northwestern hospital and it offered mm-hmm. internships to, you know, women who are, you know, looking for, like, professional... Or it offered internships for women, um, essentially. That's you know, the easiest way of saying it. Um, yeah. And so, like, we... There was a group of, I think, eight of us. And mm-hmm. we, like, had a bunch of video calls during the summer. And then in August, we all met each other in Chicago. And they gave us jerseys um, that are customized. So we were the first class of interns. And then... So we were 2018 interns. So we have our number, the number on our back is 2018. The back says she believes we have a name. And then it's like an actual like replica game jersey, which is really cool. That's Um, so cool. But yeah, like definitely if you can buy their jerseys. Um, I did hear, I haven't found the source for this yet in terms of like having it written down somewhere, but I did hear somewhere that if you buy a, an NWSL jersey with, a specific player's name on the back of it, they get a cut of that sale. So yeah. if you have a favorite player, definitely go try and buy their jersey if you're able to. I am not in the position to do that yet. So <laughs> I have not. Also, there's no team in the Bay Area. So true. True. Waiting for that to happen. That. NWSL, you better make it happen. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for me. Yeah, that's it for us. <laughs> <laughs>